0: After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes?
1: A job change and a couple pivots into for-profit leadership later, we're on the search to get that question answered.
0: If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you.
1: We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa.
0: Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. So, we've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I have a YouTube channel. I play video games. It's a lot of fun and been doing it for about seven years. And in the beginning, one of the things that we looked at all the time was subscriber growth. And honestly, we still keep an eye on that. But what we learned over the course of time is that looking at subscriber growth was one, kind of discouraging a lot of the time. And two, it was really hard to control. And when you did control it, it actually caused more problems than it solved. And that's because looking at the subscriber growth was looking at a lag indicator. It's the last thing in a series of a whole bunch of other things that can be controlled to move. You make an error earlier on in the process, you lose subscribers. You make uh, good advances earlier on in the process of making videos and creating good content, subscriber growth increases. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is how can you find the lead indicators, the, the things that you can actually control, that you can change to improve your organization when it's hard to see them. Because in the YouTube world, subscribers are what's celebrated all the time, right? You see people with the plaques like, oh, I've got 100,000 subscribers. i got a million subscribers. Oh, it's such a big deal. But really, that's, that's kind of the end payoff of doing things right on the front end. And when you get those things skewed and you start focusing only on trying to get subscribers, it screws things up. And the same thing can happen in nonprofit organizations.
1: Absolutely. You mentioned something. Um, You said that sometimes you get focused on subscribers and even in trying to grow that number, you'd mess stuff up. Can you give an example of that? Because I think a lot of times nonprofit leaders look at those leg indicators, the number of donors, maybe the number of people attending your events, the,
0: the amount of finances coming in.
1: Yeah, the amount of finances coming in, all these different things. And you can push on a leg indicator and have a brief moment of, oh, my gosh, this looks like it's helping. But really what you're doing is cutting the legs out from underneath your organization. And usually you don't realize it for months or years later if you're able to see it at all.
0: Now, I know you're not listening to this podcast to get YouTube advice, (laughs) so I'm going to just put the caveat in here that this stuff all relates, but I'm going to kind of explain a little bit how it works on the YouTube side so you can just understand as we take it into a conversation about nonprofit leadership. So uh, in the YouTube world, there's a thing called the algorithm, which determines kind of where your videos go and who gets to see them and all of that stuff. And one of the things that YouTube looks at is it says, okay, who are who is this channel's subscribers? We're gonna go ahead and publish the video that this channel made to the subscribers that are currently a part of this channel first. We'll mm-hmm. see how those subscribers react to that video. If, it, if they click on it, if they watch it, if they watch a certain amount of it, then we'll increase the amount of subscribers that we send it to. And it just kind of piles up to the point where, okay, we've shown this to most of their subscribers and they're eating it up. Now we can start showing this video to people who aren't subscribed And that's how you start to get reach because of the YouTube algorithm. Now, what a lot of YouTube creators run into is they try to grow their subscribers. They focus on that. And so they'll talk to their friends. They'll talk to their mom. They'll talk to their grandma. They'll talk to uh, people online. They'll put out like even like ads on Facebook and say, subscribe to my channel, like do all this stuff. But... You might get people to click on that and now they become a part of the pool of subscribers and it poisons that pool because you might have got someone to subscribe to your channel, but they have no interest in watching your stuff. I could get my grandma. I could like I could sign in to my grandma's YouTube account. I could make one for her <laughs> and I could subscribe to my YouTube channel and I'd gain a subscriber. That's so great. But my grandma is never going to watch me play Metroid. OK, she's never gonna do, <laughs> she's never going to do it. And so then every time that we make a video, we put it out. It's going to say, wow, that person just really didn't want to watch that video. It must not be a good video. Mm. And then YouTube undercuts where that video goes next. So it's really important in the YouTube world to make sure that your subscriber pool is actually real people who really watch your videos, who really enjoy the content, who will go on to comment and watch more of your videos. And it's the same thing in nonprofit. People try to artificially raise the amount of like really get a one big burst of like, here's how much money we're going to we're raising in this moment or how many people did we have at this event? But they're not necessarily the right people. Hey, we increased our staff. We have 100 staff members now. That's so awesome. Uh, Only if they're good staff members that understand and go after your vision with the same tenacity.
1: Yeah, I think a really easy example of this is sometimes people will say, we just want to have a bigger event this year, whatever that event might look like. And so they say something like, just invite anyone. Let's just get people there. Let's just have more people.
0: Warm bodies.
1: Yeah. And there it really doesn't matter who that person is. And so it's not saying let's better our message. Let's communicate the vision more. Let's create something that people naturally want to invite invite someone to. A lot of times it's we just want the bigger number. Let's use our easiest tool, guilt, and make the people (laughs) who feel obligated to us invite someone that they don't really want to invite. So it's probably going to be the person they don't like as much as other people. And so you end up with like a really nice statistic that you can post online and say, We had 500 people at our event, but on the back end of it, you've poisoned the culture and the community that you're trying to build. And that makes it so you actually lose momentum going forward because the core people know that you utilize guilt as a weapon and the people that you've brought in know that there's this thing going on, but they really don't care. And so it muddies the water to the point where you can put on another great event in the future, but the number of people who are going to be vested in it It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to have that impact that ripples beyond the core few people that you have to directly talk to about it.
0: So the whole idea of lag indicators and lead indicators, we talked about a bit on the podcast, but it's so important in nonprofit because it's really hard to find lead indicators and to measure them Mm -hmm. so what happens is lag indicators are really easy to measure in the context of like exercising it's how much weight did you gain how much weight did you lose right in the context of youtube channels it's subscribers in the context of uh business it's profit right now you can push on things and try to shortcut and try to get bigger profit and try to lose a lot of weight really fast on try like you can do all these shortcuts but We all know that it's like, especially in exercise, right? You can lose like, you know, 15 pounds in a week if you just stop eating. But guess what? If it took you a week to lose 15 pounds, you'll gain it back in a week. And so it's not a healthy way to run an organization to just try to um, manufacture and adjust what those leg indicators are seeing. Those, they're leg indicators. They're leg indicators. They're the results of what has happened earlier on in the process. And so It's important to understand that, yes, we can look at the lag indicators. They're a measurement that tells us how good we're doing with the lead indicators. Mm -hmm. You can't really try to bolster those numbers on the lag side, on the end of the funnel. You have to use that as a tip-off to say, okay, we're on a downward trend here with these lag indicators. We need to go back to the source, back to the lead indicators, and find out what are the things that lead to good results. Mm -hmm. And they might be, you know, 10 steps earlier on in the process. It's before you market, you know, people like, oh, we didn't send out enough mailers. Okay, no, no. (laughs) Think a little earlier on in the process. It might be your messaging. You send out a bunch of mailers with bad messaging. You're going to end up with messed up lag indicators that are giving you false data to work with is really what's going on. You're Mm -hmm. creating false data. So you feel good. When you mess around with the leg indicators.
1: Well, if that false messaging or that poor messaging goes out and it bumps your leg indicators for a moment, that doesn't mean that they're positive leg indicators, even if they look positive on paper. It doesn't mean that they're actually going to help your organization. I'm trying so hard to find this quote and I cannot find it. Um, but I remember reading someone said the minute that a leg indicator becomes measured, it's no longer a valid leg indicator. So leg indicators are great indicators. They let you know what's going on. They're kind of like they, a canary
0: in the in the coal mine kind mm-hmm, of situation. Yeah. But at that point, the coal mine is poisoned if the canary dies, okay? You to, like, figure out <laughs> how to unpoison the coal mine.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like So they're not a great true measurement because the minute that you stop seeing as like a general leg indicator, we're going to keep it in mind. It's just kind of a flashing warning light. If we see something drastic happen, we need to make a note of it and see what's going on. Um, But once it changes into this is what we measure, it no longer is a proper leg indicator because we start to mess with it and manipulate it and try and make something happen that isn't actually being facilitated or grown by the culture that we're developing or by the systems and processes that we have in place or by the stories we're telling or the statistics we're sharing. We have something that we are artificially bumping up, um, oftentimes because it makes us feel good. Yeah, it's an Um, ego It's an ego boost. Yeah. Um, So the real question
0: that we have to drill into that we want to talk about today on the podcast is, how do you find the lead indicators when all you can see is lag indicators? And that's really, really common in a lot of different organizations and and businesses and stuff. But it's especially true in nonprofits, because you have to learn how to measure things that are inherently very hard to measure, Mm -hmm. like trust. How can you measure trust? But trust really is the first step in the process.
1: And let's be really clear. It's not just what do you measure as a lead indicator, but how do you measure it and what language do you use to measure it? If I walk up to Ted one day and I say, hey, do you trust me? Oh, yeah. Right. Because he doesn't want to <laughs> fight with me. Like, <laughs> But if I can find a way to figure out if he actually trusts me... If it's like, hey, Ted, I know that you really value this guitar, I'm going to grab it for the day. If he doesn't flinch, if he doesn't ask where I'm taking it, if he's just like, oh, sure, whatever, it's my favorite guitar, you can, like, meh. Like, that's a good indicator of trust, um, a specific type of trust. Do I let you
0: hold the remote?
1: That's a no. So there's always <laughs> so much trust there. <laughs> but I mean, like, there are different ways that we have to look at as leaders. So first, let's figure out the lead indicator. But we want you to... um not just the, be like, oh, I think I know my lead indicator and go after it. Like there are proper ways to actually analyze lead indicator and proper ways to ask questions about it too. Yeah. So we'll because, touch on that a little bit. Cause.
0: Because we're dealing with people, we have to be careful with the way that we measure it because we can influence and mess up the data. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to find out how to measure these things that lead to the results. And so let's just start with one as an example. Let's 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 put together a pretend for the purposes of the conversation, a pretend organization. Mm-hmm. And let's say they are well, we're kind of on the topic of music. You mentioned guitars. Let's say it's a, an education organization that works on trying to help kids learn music. Okay. Okay. So they are trying to help kids learn music and we need to, and, and like the things that would probably stand out as uh lag indicators it'd be really easy to measure be like how many kids did we help this year like how many how many kids picked up a guitar for the first time you know Mm -hmm. like that feels really good be like wow a thousand kids picked up a guitar for the first time but that could also be like gamed the system could be gamed to make that number bigger right so Mm -hmm. we have to figure out what actually counts and how do we measure whether the kids are really learning music and that kind of stuff so let's talk about that let's put in this hypothetical situation
1: Yeah, so a big leg indicators like you talked about. How many kids are being helped? Um, Possibly how many schools did you go and talk to? Um, How many people did you network with? Sometimes, like, I know for myself, I look at whether or not I'm I'm doing a good job based on how big my network is. Um, But that doesn't mean I'm always in contact with my network. A network that you're not utilizing isn't necessarily beneficial. (laughs) Um, So leg indicators like that. Lead indicators, Like a lead indicator before how many students you have is how many parents are you talking to. Like you're not going to get a student in the door until you've had the conversation with the parent. Now that's still not a great lead indicator. That's still pretty far down the pipeline. Mm -hmm. But you need to know that that is a leader before that big one because if you're talking to 100 parents and only one student is showing up, there's something going on about the conversations or you're going about it the wrong way, or you're approaching it the wrong way. Yeah. Um, before... Oh, go ahead.
0: So one of the things... So I did a little bit of musical education stuff in, in working with church. One of the things that I would do is I would work with musicians to help them learn their instruments better and just kind of invest, especially in like students who have a little bit of extra time and they're they have a lot of brain plasticity. They can pick up instruments faster than a 35-year-old adult for the first time. It's just... It's a good time to start investing in kids with music. And one of the things that I paid attention to and I should have paid more attention to because now that I think about it, it's a great lead indicator is how many times per month a parent came up to me and said, thank you for investing into my kid.
1: That's a great That one. would be a
0: great lead indicator because that's hard to game that system. You can't you can't make a parent come up and thank you, but you can invest so well in their kid that they do.
1: And by you can't make a parent, do not include in your next email, hey parent, if you're happy, come talk to me and tell me. Yeah. Like it has to be something that's totally outside your control. Another really good one is for this organization is how many kids in the last month have invited a friend to take along or introduced a friend uh, to the organization. Because that's gonna show something not just about your front end funnel, but really if you're creating that community of musicians. And if you're not just teaching the kid about music, but teaching them to enjoy music, Um, because as a music educator, it's not just whether or not they understand the notes, but it's if they are developing something that's going to make them want to carry music with them long term.
0: Yeah. How much do they love the process? Mm -hmm. You know, and like, I mean, that's that's basically what you're measuring. How much do the kids and the families love this organization? And you can put out surveys But surveys are inherently flawed in a lot of ways, too. I mean, have you ever been to um, Taco Bell and they're like, hey, uh, hey, could you fill out this survey for me and give me a 10? So that way, you know, I get a you know, like that's a good example of a survey being flawed because the the uh, employee is incentivized Mm -hmm. to get people to write down a false number. And it's just like it's 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 a really big mess. And so. I remember doing a little bit of like marketing research, especially like social media marketing. One of the things they did talk about was surveys and how important it is um, to make a survey in a way that it can't be gamed. So you actually get real uh, data back. And it is really, really, really hard. It probably is easier to figure out a lead indicator that doesn't involve a survey.
1: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> than
0: it is to make a survey that works. Yeah,
1: I have a degree in anthropology, and I took a whole, like, one of my whole classes one semester was different ways to ask questions without asking the wrong questions. The yep, without influencing the answer. Objection,
0: leading. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> yes, that. Um, but asking questions without influencing the answer and without bringing your own biases to the situation. Um, A lot of times as a nonprofit leader or any leader, if you're trying to figure out how you can make something more effective, you're going to ask a question like, how can I make this more effective? How can I make this more fun? How can I make this more whatever it is that you think people are looking for? When in reality, your volunteers might not care at all about having fun. They might not be a part of it because they want to have fun. They might be a part of it because their best friend is a part of it and they like having a reason to get together once a week. To hang out as they're doing something that makes them feel good. Like we go into situations where we ask the wrong questions because we have our own filter on and that's really, really, really hard to remove. And so the best way to figure out lead indicators is figure out a way to measure them without ever communicating that you're measuring them. Right. The minute that you start communicating about it is the minute that you mess them up. They no longer work. Um, I'd say another big lead indicator for a music organization would be how many um, music teachers from the surrounding schools reach out to you Mm. and just see what you're doing. Reach out to you. Mm -hmm. Reach out to you. Not you reach out to them, not they take your phone call, but they reach out to you. Because that's an indication that they have someone in their class who just loves music, they had a conversation, and that student mentioned you. And something about the way that that student is performing or talking or their excitement... Um, it's keying something into that teacher who obviously cares about the same thing you do in terms of music to say, this could be a great partner for me. I want to reach out and just see what they're doing and what's going on.
0: Right. Lead indicators are inherently hard to measure because you want, like everything about being a human is all about trying to find patterns and exploit those patterns to make things happen. Right. If you want a paycheck, you go. You you find a way to get a job, so that way you can create the pattern of getting a paycheck. But when it comes to lead indicators, it's really really tough. You want to set them up in a way that you can't cheat them, Mm -hmm. because the minute you cheat them is the minute that they don't work anymore. Right.
1: Now I will say, even in nonprofit work, there are some lead indicators that you can do that you can fully control. Um, So. If you wanted to get healthier, you might say, I'm going to go to the gym. And you can measure how many times you go to the gym and that's fully within your control. Um, when I was working with, in um, as a leader in an organization, um, one of the things that I had, because I didn't have necessarily a large team, um, but I'm someone who I know. I'm just incredibly introverted. When I show up, I want to get my stuff done. I'm not someone to have a lot of outside conversation. So I actually set a quota for myself on how many people I had to text each week just to say hi. Mm -hmm. Um, When we were early stages, I was doing a business thing. I had a quota for myself on how many cards I had to write each week, just as little, hey, thinking of you. Um, And I made a thing for myself that any time I met with someone for coffee, and I had like a minimum number of times I expected myself to meet with people for coffee each month. When I got home, I would write them a thank you card for taking time to meet with me. Now, you might say, oh, forcing yourselves to write cards, that seems disingenuous. Um, it's not, as long as before you start writing, you actually sit down and le- legitimately take time to think through why you're grateful for the person um, <laughs> right. or something like it's that. It's
0: disingenuous if you're lying.
1: Yeah, it's only disingenuous <laughs> when you say, like, oh, yeah, I'm hoping things go well for you, but you haven't actually even considered them and you don't really care. Yeah. Um, so there are some lead indicators that if you can figure out, when I do this... People respond way down the line with this. And it's not meant to manipulate the situation because that's one thing. Sometimes people think like, oh, you're just trying to manipulate it. It's recognizing my core volunteers feel cared for when I do X. I should do more X. Because one of the biggest things that we can do as leaders is care for the people who have agreed to work with us and to spend time with us. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest things we can do as people, even if we're not the leader. It's just simply care for the people around us and entrusted to like our sphere.
0: So let's say with this this hypothetical music organization, let's say we're going to do a big concert, like School of Rock style concert, right? We've got these kids. They're learning all these instruments. We're going to do this big concert. And we want to get a ton of people to the concert because we know that marketing wise, it's going to be really healthy, for the for the organization to have a bunch of people, the kids are going to love it. It's going to be super fun, but we want to have a really big event because we know that like as organization grows, events should get bigger, right? Mm-hmm. So, what would be some good lead indicators for invites?
1: For invites
0: for for the event. So, the first thought that came to mind for me was if you have if you want to get a lot of people to the event, one of the first things you'll think about is how many invites are going out Mm -hmm. so the guttural response for most leaders would be i'm gonna make everybody in the organization invite 10 people five people one person right well mandating an invite is not a good way to get real invites out
1: i have a question what's the point of this event is the Good point question. to have a big crowd or is the point to grow your influence in the community and get more people interested in your organization?
0: Exactly. And so you have to think about what am I really doing here? Is this just an eco boost for me to have a bunch of people, you know, come up and go like, wow, what a great concept. You're such a great leader. <laughs> or is it really about building trust with the community?
1: Right. It should be the,
0: the latter. The right? latter.
1: People oftentimes think of events like the accumulation, culmination of the entire year. They're like, this is the thing that we are building for and they view it as the finale. We did it, now we can rest. Mm
0: -hmm. Rather
1: than viewing it as this is the culmination of the entire year and this is our launching point for the next year. This is the day one. Like your event should be day one for the next season of whatever it is that you're doing. Exactly. So back to invites.
0: (laughs) So with that in mind, what I would be wanting to do is think about What makes people actually send out real excited invites? What makes people freak out about something and naturally share something? Think about stuff that goes viral like, you know, when Stranger Things first came out on Netflix, everybody was talking about it. But it wasn't because Stranger Things at the end of every episode was saying, now remember tell your friends to watch Stranger Things next episode. Like that would have, I would have like not, I would have been like, oh, I would have rolled my eyes and probably barfed (laughs) and then uh, never watched it again, right? and But they did it by actually amping up the excitement and leaving a good cliffhanger and doing all the things content wise to make people naturally want to share. Did you see, did you see Stranger Things? Like Mm -hmm. the natural conversations that happen because people are so excited about it. So then you have to think, what actually would get people excited about being a part of this event so much that they want to call a hundred people and tell them about it without me telling them to.
1: Right. So here's the thing. What Ted's talking about right now is a conversation that should be happening six to twelve months before the event.
0: Yeah, this isn't like, like two weeks. Like this is before. <laughs> not a
1: two-week, like, and I see this sometimes with organizations like, all right, we have our annual thing we have our annual thing like three weeks before it's like, okay, we should figure out what the schedule is actually going to be. We should figure out what we're going to do for it. And and it's kind of this attitude of um, we've done it before. So we kind of know what to expect, which there is a certain amount that that's true. When you start to repeat stuff, um, it can take less time, but that doesn't mean it should take less duration. Mm -hmm. Like it might take less fewer hours but that doesn't mean that it should take fewer months of thinking about it or starting to have those conversations ahead of time or planning the event so that you're creating something that people actually want to invite people to.
0: And I'm going to be clear. Trying to answer the question, what gets people to naturally invite people to an event without you asking them to do it, this is a super hard question to mm-hmm. answer. So yes. This is figuring first, this is fi- first figuring out what your lead indicator is even going to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So... Uh, I'm going to just try to throw one together here, but this is this is a big question. This might take a room, you know, a room full of your leaders really digging in and poking holes in every idea. Well, is it that the kids um, uh, that they want to play on a stage in front of people that they're going to be so excited to invite their friends? Is it that the snacks are so good? Is it that, you know, like. We have to actually ask these questions. What makes people invite people to things? Yeah,
1: and get some of the kids into the room with you or at least talk to them, bring them in and let them give you some ideas. Um, because we've been a part or helped out with organizations um, or consulted with organizations where the leader has had one idea of what the people want to be a part of. Then we talk to the people and they're like, that's yeah, not why I, don't, I do this. I don't really care about that. Mm-hmm. And the problem is the leader is spending time and money trying to make this thing happen and the people just do not care. And so if you get a bunch of leaders in a room, you want to make sure that as you're coming up with ideas that you have a handful of trusted people that you're able to go to who are in that key demographic and just say like, hey, we're kind of thinking about something like this. What do you think? And if they're like, no, no. You better trust them over trust, like, your room full of leaders yeah, who aren't. Like they're down in the like, trenches. They are in, Yeah, they know what's going on, and they're going to have a better read on if it's a good idea or a bad idea. That doesn't mean throw everything out, but don't assume that just because you think you know better that you're right.
0: Absolutely. The
1: leader, just because you're leading the organization or you're leading the team, doesn't mean that you have the best read on what's going on. Right. So
0: I mean, if you've seen that show, Undercover Bosses, you you understand that there are things that the CEO just can't know unless, like, they're a fly on the wall. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you really have to figure out what people actually want to be a part of.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So let's say we assume let's let's just throw out a random thing let's 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 assume that the thing that really drives people to invite is that they make new friends. Yeah, <laughs> like. Whoa. Okay. So that's, that's going to be a hard thing to measure. mm -hmm. And it's, this is, this is very possibly the thing. So let's just, your organization just has this uncanny ability to help people make new friends. Mm -hmm. And so what your goal then should be as a lead indicator in this situation would be, I want to make sure that the kids are being introduced to each other. The parents are being introduced to each other. I want to foster these relationships that they're gaining with each other. Because I want them to be like, wow, I have made so many great relationships here. I have this lonely friend. They need friendships. Mm -hmm. Boom. I'm going to invite them because I just naturally know what I've been able to get out of this. I haven't been told what I got out of this. I just naturally deep down know what I got out of this. And this other person needs it. And so then they naturally invite them and invite them to be a part of what's going on.
1: Yeah, So that lead indicator could be how often people are hanging out at your organizational building. Um, outside of the time that they're scheduled for lessons because they want to meet up with their friend that they met there.
0: Yep. And then how like, can you foster that? Like, how can you, you know, get, get pizza for afterward, right? So that mm-hmm. way people tend to hang around a little bit more and just create a culture of we enjoy each other's company.
1: Yep. So this is creating the culture ahead of time as you're thinking through what your organization wants to do. But then as you're planning the event and leading up to the event, making sure that the event mirrors what the culture is. Like a lot of times with the music organization, there's probably an idea of this is what a music recital looks like. But that doesn't mean that that music recital is going to benefit what it is that you're actually trying to do. So you might need to find a way to break the mold and break up what is typical in order to create something that actually draws people in who are the right people who are then going to be interested in actually helping support or be a part of your organization. So the lead indicator is trying to figure out how to build that community, get people to have the conversations you're hoping they're having without you having to tell them or ask them to have those conversations (laughs) and get them to tell you that they had the conversation and you figuring it out without you having to initiate any sort of conversation or like
0: interrogate them and mm-hmm. make them feel guilty about not doing it if they didn't.
1: Mhm.
0: Right? And th- these things are so hard to do, but this is where the magic happens with organizations. It's deep down in the this is the 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 heart of the culture conversation. Right? You're trying to measure culture, which is really really tricky, but you have to do it. You have to have the conversations with your leadership team Uh, with trusted advisors to really have people dig in and say, is that really why people are coming to your organization? Is it really because the music quality is that good?
1: Mm -hmm. Not really.
0: The kids are, you know, they're they're kids. They're not, they're not, you know, the best orchestra. Right. And so that uh, those, those, Things can sometimes only be pointed out by people who you trust who are going to actually kind of rip you to shreds a bit Mm -hmm. about what you think is important.
1: And a lot of times those people that you trust are either going to be people outside your organization and your default is going to say, is going to be, well, you don't really know what's going on. And a lot of times I'm not knowing what's going on is the benefit and is why they're (laughs) able to see things so clearly. The other group of people who are going to be able to be really honest with you and really hurt your ego are the people who are at a lower hierarchical leadership position than you are. Um, And a lot of times as leaders, you want to assume that you know better than them. But if you're asking for feedback on culture, remember, you can't ask them this. You need to figure out how to ask them without asking them. If you are looking for feedback on culture, you need to find the people who are trusted and who are really in touch and trust that their read on culture is probably more accurate than yours. That doesn't mean that they are 100% right, but it does mean that you need to highly contemplate what it is that they're telling you and not just dismiss it because it makes you feel kind of bad, (laughs) 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 to put it nicely.
0: Well, this has been a super exciting conversation. I really like talking about this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know if the listeners can tell, but uh, if you have questions about this, or you want to under like know a little bit more, you can always send us an email at uh, legacy uh, office at legacybuildersintl.com. And our question for you for the day is, what is your real lead indicator for the outcome, the lag indicator that you're looking at? Not Not how you're going to measure it, just figure out what it is. That right there is a question that you're probably going to need to take months to answer, but it's good to start figuring it out now.